Hi guys, welcome to the Earthly Delights podcast. Um, this week we're going to be talking to a friend of mine from school who's had quite a hard time of it as of late, but I think this podcast is going to be really interesting. And I know there's a couple of people listening who have been wanting to listen to this podcast for quite a while now. I've had a few requests. So um, without further ado, Tom, how, what's the crack? How are we doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, mate. How about yourself? Not too bad. It's a bit a bit of a shame we're recording, um, obviously on Sunday, and the news of Caroline Flack. I'm not sure if you saw it. Yeah, I did. Came out yeah. yesterday. Sad news, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sad news because especially it's fun. It's that whole thing always happens. I feel like especially when celebrities kind of commit suicide or whatever, whereby you see everyone come out again and starting to promote mental health again and saying how we should all be kinder and everyone else, everything else. But then. It always happens. Those same people, not all of them, but a lot of them, then they'll be they'll just slate the next person that comes on. You know, it's this whole, it's this whole thing. That's it. Yeah, and everyone's got their own opinion about it, don't they? I was just having a chat to uh, to Emma about this. We were just saying about how everyone has their own opinion on on the whole thing, really. But um, I suppose in some ways, it's it can be positive. Like although it's an awful thing that's happened, but it can be positive to to raise more awareness of mental health like you say yeah if we can if we can make if it can ch- help change people's attitudes and i think that would be good and i think i think the biggest thing for me is not is not necessarily the sense that people maybe slate because you know if, if it was true that maybe she did those but you know i don't really know what happened with her boyfriend but if that was to be proven true then obviously you know that's a problem but the thing is is that what i didn't like about it was it was kind of you're either in one or two camps it's either you love caroline flack in which case you can say that you're upset she died or you go well she beat up her boyfriend so she kind of deserved it anyway she's a bad person and it's just like mate we all have we've all made mistakes but none of us are perfect and yet every single one of us wants to throw stones when we all live in glass houses i just think it's the weirdest kind of uh, mentality because it doesn't doesn't mean that just because you've made one mistake, you're that's it. You're just a, an awful person, and and no one should care, and this, that, and the other. You know, it's just a bit of a weird kind of cancel culture that we've got going on at the moment. Which yeah, exactly. It, it's it's hard to judge people, especially when like you yeah, don't know exactly. the whole situation, isn't it? But um, yeah, sad news anyway. Yeah, sad news. Anyway, let's um, let's get on with the main topic here. So do you just want to, obviously some of our friends will be listening and they'll kind of know, but there'll be people who have no idea. So do you just want to kind of um, fill people in and let people know what's been happening over the last couple of years? Yeah, so in, let me think about it again. So February 2018, um, I was diagnosed with a, a brain tumour. Um, so I think initially it it appeared to be something, um, I think the doctors thought it was something to do with my heart. I kept going in uh, with these symptoms where I was having uh, like mini seizures. Um, but they were just kind of weird sensations that I was feeling in sort of the right side of my body. And I was feeling them more more so when I was like at the gym or like exerting myself. Um, so the diagnosis did take a little while. Um but eventually, um, I started to have them 
So I'd have uh, these seizures like every so often, like maybe uh, once or twice a day, but then it, they just got more and more frequent uh, until sort of the last, the last day, the day that I went in to A&E. Uh, I must have had about 10, about 10 probably uh, seizures. Jesus. Um, so it's quite worrying really, especially because at work when I was on the phone, uh, to customers and stuff. Um, what started to happen is I couldn't finish my sentences, couldn't finish my words. And that's when I sort of started to really sort of think this might be something like really quite serious and got a bit worried about it. Um, yeah. but still I didn't, I didn't think it would be, um, as serious as it, as it was. Uh, so we went into A and E and then, um, Eventually, they did like a, an MRI. Um, sorry, not an M. Uh, it was a C, CT scan. So they're quite similar, but they're just slightly different scans. So I had a right. CT scan, and um, what they said initially, they called us into like one of the like family rooms or something. So sort of immediately, we kind of knew it was quite a serious uh, diagnosis. Um, so they took us in there and just said, I've got basically a, uh, I can't remember what it's a lesion on the brain. That was it. A lesion on the brain. Um, but at the time I was a little bit sort of, you know, it was, it was kind of a bit shocking and everything. And I, it, I didn't really, um, it didn't really hit home at the time. Yeah, but course. they didn't actually give me a full diagnosis to saying it was a brain tumour or anything because they were going to do more tests after that. But all we got was that it was a lesion on the brain. And I think uh, my mum being quite medical, because she's a midwife, I think she kind of kind of knew w- what it was. She was like, oh, it's, it's probably a brain tumour. Um, so, yeah, that was the the initial bit, which was quite shocking and took a little while to, to sink in. Um... And then from there, um, I had a biopsy. So I went right. home for like a few weeks and was put on anti-seizure um, med- medication, uh, which I still take now. Um, but yeah, I was put on this medication and then I just had to wait at home for a few weeks um, before my biopsy. And that period was was pretty hard, I think, because... You know, after being told that diagnosis, um, I spent a lot of time, you know, with family and, and Emma was there as well. Uh, she basically came and, and and just stayed with me for those three weeks. But it was really yeah, uh, quite an emotional time. Um, that was probably the hardest part of it all, I think. Because um, you just don't know exactly what, the diagnosis is or how bad it is or anything so you're just like guessing at everything and and yeah you're in a complete state of limbo you know reading stuff up on the internet about what it could be and how bad it could be and uh there was just a lot to think about i think and um from obviously a position where you weren't diagnosed with anything and you thought life was fine and you just have these little problems that you're going to the doctor about to all of a sudden thinking you know, you could have like uh, a pretty, a pretty bad diagnosis. It, it was probably the Can most. Can I ask time. you? 
so yeah, following that, I went and had my uh, biopsy where they were going to try and take out as much of the tumour as possible. Um, so uh, we went in for like a, like before the operation, they do like a, a clinic where they sort of tell you what's going to happen and prepare you for the, for the surgery. Uh, and I think there they kind of confirmed, because I had an MRI scan, that it was a brain tumour and showed us like the size of it, basically. Right. Uh, and said what they were going to aim to do. And it was quite sizable, but they said they were going to try and um, take as much out as possible. Um, but obviously the main point to the, the surgery was to get uh, a biopsy, to get a full diagnosis of what, what grades brain tumour is to see how bad it was and what type of brain tumour and everything like that right um so yeah i went into hospital at queen's med in knots and had my surgery um which was a bit surreal really because um i did it awake so basically they they put me to sleep um with anesthetics and then uh they woke me up and I couldn't feel anything because obviously I had the anaesthetic, um, you know, in my on my head and on my face and everything. But it was just so strange because I woke up at the point where they were just digging around in my oh, in my Jesus brain to like Christ. kind of cut some of this tumor up. <laughs> so it was quite, um, it's quite surreal really because you could feel what was going on. There was no pain. Um, Obviously, because actually inside the brain, there's no, there's no pain. Um, it's it's just yeah. on the outside, which is I didn't know that before before all of this. Anyway, um, so yeah, it was it was very very odd, and I had to speak to this nurse and she to make sure that I was still. They were testing my like, um, my like cognitive ability and everything, and making sure that I could still speak because they knew if if they'd cut too mm. far, say, I wouldn't be able to speak anymore. I'd struggle to speak. Um, so they took as much as they could out. And then I got to a point where uh, I had like a, a massive seizure because they went a little bit too far. Um, and the nurse was trying to get me to speak. Um, but I, I couldn't. I, I, for, like, I really, really wanted to. And I knew what I wanted to say to her, but I just couldn't. Oh my, like, my God. mouth wasn't moving. And then... I just uh, had like a massive seizure and they knew that was the end of the operation then. So they uh, they finished it up and uh, I came out awake as well, which was really weird. Like they they kind of put the skull back in place and stitched my head up and everything while I was awake. So I could feel what was going on, but it was so, such Ooh. a weird feeling. Um, it's, it's so difficult to describe, but it was just the strangest experience ever. Um, but yeah, anyway, that was, that was my, yeah, I know that was my surgery. Um, so after that, they, uh, they had a look at the biopsy to determine what, what grade it was. Um, and it came back as a grade two with some change to a grade, grade three. Uh, so there's four grades, right. uh, I'm not sure if you know, but there's four grades normally with cancer. Uh, so grade one, grade two, three, and four. And four's the worst, and and number one is the mm -hmm. most sort of benign, um, like non-active cancer. Um, so mine was 
predominantly grade two, but with some changes to a grade three. So it wasn't like the worst it could be. So I was quite positive about that because obviously, you know, you always think the worst, you know, in in that kind of three week period before the surgery, I was always thinking, oh, like, what yeah. if this is the worst thing? And then, you know, I'm going to die in a few months, whatever. Um, right. But it wasn't, it was a grade two with a, with some changes to a three. So I think it was still, you know, obviously it was still raw and everything, the diagnosis, but I I tried to be sort of quite positive at that time and said like, well, you know, yeah. it could be worse. I mean, it's obviously it's not the best thing, but, yeah. um, you know, being a grade two, at least it's not a grade four and stuff. Um, but then we went and had a clinic with the oncology oncology team so my oncology doctors that I'm still seeing now um and they sort of um I mean they've been very good but I think sometimes they like to beat around the bush I'd say a little bit with sort of like prognosis and uh because I think some people don't even want to hear prognosis and yeah. stuff like that but I was quite I, I just wanted to know like you know and sometimes in that situation they said they do get some people who are like like that um but I just you know I really just wanted to know what they thought um and they said it was probably what did they say now I think it was like seven to 15 years for a grade two but if it was because obviously it was some of it was changing to a grade three if it uh you know started changing to a grade three overall like right um it was more likely to be sort of three to five years or something like that so yeah coming back from that was quite quite shocking as well um because i suppose these are things that you kind of we were all it was all a bit up in the air and we didn't really know exactly what impact it would have on my life and everything we we did know it was serious but you know to hear that that's on average how long people with this diagnosis live um it was yeah i can only imagine yeah really quite shocking and and hard to take to begin with it was that was quite upsetting that period um probably like one of the darkest times in the whole you know uh period since diagnosis um because it was just you rethink your whole life really it's it's very yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very shocking. Of course. Could I ask you about um, the, when you got given the, sorry, when you went to the doctors and you kind of, just to like get it all back because you've managed to somehow condense two hour, two two years of your life in about 15 minutes, which is commendable. I wish I had that talent. But I just wanted to go back because there's some things that you said and I thought, oh, I just can't imagine. Um, when you kind of got the first, the when you went to the doctors and they said oh, it was a lesion on the brain and this that and the other uh i think it's kind of human nature to imagine the worst or at least it, that's in my nature you know I, if i get a cold i automatically think i've probably got malaria or something i just that's how my brain works so how was it the two-part question is basically how was it dealing with kind of your mortality then when it's all up in the air and you don't know how serious it is or you don't really know what's happening. You just know that you've got a lesion on the brain, as they've said. And then how was it dealing with your mortality at the end of the process when they, when they, when you went in and they gave you your prognosis and they said, look, the average is um, seven to 15 years? Because I just think of it as 
when young people like you know we're the same age i've never once really thought about uh my mortality how you know you don't you hear these stories but you never think they're going to apply to you and i just always if i when i imagine my life i kind of always imagine myself dying at 85 after i've done everything i've ever wanted so to be then told oh well that's probably not going to happen and it might be a lot sooner how how did you even bec- like deal with that situation how was it for for emma as well because obviously you two have been uh, a long you've been in a long-term relationship it's always what seven eight years now if not more how's it for for you two to be like all of the you know you've i'm assuming that you two will have probably planned um marriage and kids and having a family together and taking your kids to nottingham forest and all the rest of it how is it all of a sudden to be like oh shit all of those plans we've made may potentially never ever happen um yeah it's it's a bit because this whole thing was only the first two months um, of the whole uh, two years after. Oh right! Um, so it was Christ. all quite. Um, at that time, it was it was pretty shocking, and it was almost a little bit like you wanted to wake up from like a nightmare. If you know what I mean, it was a bit like. Sometimes I was thinking, "Is this really? Is this real?" Like it. It was just so like out of out of the blue except from the obviously the the symptoms I was getting but they weren't really um like massive symptoms like I, I hadn't actually had a, a, a big seizure or anything before I went in which they thought was a bit strange and stuff um but yeah it was just a bit to begin with it was a bit shocking and you didn't really sort of want to believe it to begin with it took a long time to sort of you know, to um, to come to terms with it. And then after that, I think after that oncology meeting, so this was would have been in like um, March or April time, uh, 2018. So I had, the fe- it all started in February 2018 and then this was just a couple of months later. Um, but once I'd been to the oncologist clinic and stuff, it was, I think it was quite upsetting for like, my uh you know like my family and everything um and my I think my mum was quite sort of visibly upset to begin with but then uh I me and Emma kind of I don't know we kind of, I kind of held it together quite well while I was in the clinic and was being kind of quite you know I was just listening it, to it all basically yeah. and then I think when I got back home and we went you know, went and sat in my room. I think it all just hit us and we just, you know, just, it was quite upsetting that that moment when we just realised what this was all all about, really. And because um, you don't think your life is going to be that way. Like you say, you plan for like, you, you make plans for the future and you say, oh yeah, we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll go here and we'll, you know, have kids, blah, 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 blah. And then to think that's all kind of all of a sudden might not happen is, yeah, is very upsetting. Um, so that was that was very hard to begin with. But I think it's been, the whole thing's been very difficult for Emma and, you know, my family because I think it's, it's harder um, when it, it's not you if you know what I mean when like 
because for me it was kind of like right this is how things are um yeah i can't like change things um so i tried to sort of be more positive uh in the period after that um but i think for other people who can't help you you know someone that you really care about but you can't help them it's it's the worst thing ever really um and I, I kind of experienced that when my little brother was uh, younger. He had cancer and he ended up having a transplant, a liver transplant. And, and he was, you know, on, on the brink of death as well. And that that was a lot harder for me than this whole thing has been, which is quite strange to say, but it was because it's somebody yeah. that you really care about and you can't you can't do anything to help them. And it's awful. But I think when you're in the you're the you're the only one who can change your kind of future. I mean, I know the medical staff as well, but like when you're not in control, it's I think it's a lot more difficult. Yeah, this might be a really hard question, but it's just because I I only ask it because ever since I we found out, you know, your schoolmates and stuff, and we've spoken to you and we saw you over a couple of Christmases ago and whatever else, and people who know you well, whenever people have spoken about you, they've always said you've been really positive about the whole situation. And, and I've seen that in person. And, and you know, that's just been the case. You have been really positive about such a dire situation. Was there ever a point when, when you just thought, stuff this like if I might as well just end it all now because I mean, I, I think about how I would have thought if I got, if I'd been given your prognosis and I mean obviously you've got your family to live on for and you've got your girlfriend and friends and so on but to get given all of that in like two months I think it's so I can't even imagine how hard that must have been to deal with was there ever a point when you just thought I just want to quit and I just want to give up on life and just end it all here now or were you always kind of positive and we can get through this don't worry it's one one foot ahead of the other yeah um no i've never really been like that way inclined um i think it makes it's made me sort of value life a lot more really and like um you know, like a lot of people our age are just, you know, bothered about sort of like, and I mean, I am to an extent, but like, you know, like getting a good job and, you know, saving for a house and uh, planning, you know, from for to have kids or whatever. Like, well, maybe not this age, but a little bit older. But anyway, um, I think it makes you just, it made me sort of value life, yeah, like, more like just spending time with family and stuff became a lot more important um especially when you know you've been told you're like on limited time and stuff um because you'd sort of re sort of evaluate what you want to do in life a bit more so I'm more bothered about you know going on now that I'm more capable um to 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 you know go on like holidays and go traveling and things rather than sort of you know getting promotions at work and stuff like that um and and spending more time with like um family yeah. and my my uh, little siblings and everything um 
So it does, yeah, it does change your outlook on life a little bit. But at the same time, I have been quite... Uh, so this sort of period after, I've been, on the whole, fairly positive because um, I'm back at work now, like, part-time, and I am trying to get back to uh, just some sort of normality, just to sort of... Because um, it's been a while now, you know, you can't sort of sit and talk about it forever you have to kind of get on with life as well you know if, if you, especially when you don't know how long you've got to live you want to just kind of live it yeah, rather than you rather than the other way if you know what i mean like not want to live it because you've got this horrible diagnosis or whatever but um so at the minute i'm just trying to get back into work i'm trying to you know i'm but i'm part-time at the minute but i want to get back to like sort of full-time hopefully um but at the same time it is difficult like you say like especially with money as well like what what to spend money on and yeah. do you want to save for a house because that might not even be relevant for me or should I just spend all my money on you know doing things that I want to do you know like traveling and going to countries that I've always wanted to go to and um like you said it is difficult um, with that diagnosis to really know what to do with your life. But I think a bit of, it's been a, a bit of both for me. Um, but like you say, it, sometimes it's it's difficult like for me and Emma because you want to save for a house and stuff like that. And, uh, but you, at the same time, you're like, well, you know, if I've only got, I don't know, 15 years to live, like... Of course. Can't, like, fuck it, I may as well spend that money on something I want to do. But it it is hard, but um, like and and the question you were saying, have I always been sort of positive since since then? Um, I think on the whole, yes, but there has been some some darker moments, really, because I've had. So I finished. Uh, so that that like story I was sort of telling. So I was two months later, and knew, you know, my diagnosis and what and what it was and everything. Um, so then I had radiotherapy like kind of straight after that. And that was like six weeks of radiotherapy, like every day for six weeks, apart from weekends. Um, so like Monday to Friday, six weeks. Um, and at the time I felt, you know, pretty like, all right. Like I wasn't feeling too bad. Um, and I was like, well, I can... I thought, well, I'm not... I went through, like, a little period where I thought, well, I'm not going to let this, like, um, change my life. You know, I'm going to just carry on as normal. So I went back to work full-time. Um, and I was like, oh, I feel great. Like, I'm, I'm fine at work. And uh, my manager was sort of saying, are you sure? Like, you've been... Th- you know, you've had a lot done in the last, sort of, few months. Like, you know, are you, are you definitely sure from a medical view like this is this is good and I was like yeah they just said whatever I want to do really um and yeah I was working full-time and then that went to sort of about the end of July August time and then I had the massive uh seizure again well it's like the first one I've ever had it's the only one I've ever had outside of surgery but it was a a horrible experience um because I never had like a massive a big seizure before um but obviously I wasn't all right like I thought I I did feel fine 
but obviously the radiotherapy started like affecting me more back then um because it it doesn't actually affect you so right. much at the time but you know later on you get later effects and stuff and i just got home from work one day um and just yeah just like collapsed and had a, a massive seizure uh but it was yeah it wasn't a great experience but <laughs> i know that sounds silly but i mean it, it was pretty scary and because i've only ever had yeah, like one i think it made me more anxious of having others um so uh, since then i've always been a little bit more like careful if i'm feeling a bit tired or if it's strange but before seizures sometimes you know they're going to happen so i've had lots of like smaller seizures which i have like two or three times a month at the minute but these big ones are the ones that are like really scary so i think i was just I, i built up a bit of an anxiety about having another one so after that kind of summer 2018 i started chemotherapy as well at the same time so in about yeah september october i started chemotherapy so that combined with this building sort of anxiety about having another seizure uh i just started to become much less positive and you know i was physically yes i was less able to do things because it on chemotherapy it it does get much harder um and with this building anxiety as well it just stopped me going out so much and i started yeah like you know just if if people were inviting me out to do things or had some plans or whatever i'd always like nearly always come up with an excuse or i wouldn't be feeling great or so it just got worse and worse and worse, I think, because the lo- the longer you go into chemotherapy as well, like the more and more and more it affects you. So I had it for six months, which finished around like March 2019. So like this period I was doing like not so much and avoiding doing things with mates and not just not really leaving the house so much. And I think that built up like a big anxiety problem in in me but I didn't realize it at the time I thought oh this is just all to do with like the chemo and I didn't think I had like a mental health problem um but then I think following that um so I I finished my chemo and then like a couple of months after I was still you know I'm still kind of recovering from that now but I'm getting much better now but like the first few months after that I was probably at my worst and I think Emma like I said um, she did like she's quite aware of mental health and stuff because she did like psychology at uni and stuff so obviously um, you know there's much more conversation about it and she's learned about about various things to do with it but I think I just wasn't aware of it I didn't think it was like a real like problem or I was like no I definitely don't have Mm. that like that's not me like I'm not like that um but I think over time I I realized um and Emma's been great in this helping me to realize what like a massive anxiety problem I actually had and uh you know following that I had some 
CBT therapy. Um, so we, we, we like did that through my, uh, it was like my oncology nurse. Uh, she arranged that to happen, but I, I would have never said to her that I want any of this to happen at like CBT or anything without Emma sort of for making me realize, uh, because when she did, when I did get in contact with my nurse, she said, oh yeah, I think you do too. Uh, definitely health yeah. anxiety, you know, cause I was saying I was getting quite anxious about having seizures and every little thing from then, then on, I was just kind of thinking, oh, is this something to do with the tumor? Is this something to do with like, you know, it getting worse? Is this something to do with seizures? Yeah, and of course. Yeah. Really, yeah. it might've been like a headache or a stomachache, you know, just like normal stuff. But I always had to connect dots to make it, you know, this could be something to do with this. And then I'd just panic and get worried about it and not go out that day because I'm like, oh, I've got a headache. It could be something to do with the tumour. And what if I go out and have a seizure, stuff like that? It was all, it was just getting quite toxic, really. Um, so after my CBT, it kind of helped because uh, at the same time as me doing my CBT, I did. Um, you know, uh, I did, what was it, like six, six, oh no, it was eight weeks, eight weeks of this MOVE project, which um, came through uh, my nurse as well, specialist nurse, um, because after chemotherapy, I was pretty much just like, physically, I was, you know, like, like an old person, and I couldn't, you know, go out and I wouldn't even walk that far. It was it was pretty bad because the whole time during chemotherapy, I was just, and I mean, to some extent, you have to because it is it is that hard. But I hadn't done anything at all to try and you know come back from that. Um, but that eight weeks, I built my strength back up and built up, you know, my cardiovascular um, sort of health as well um and that made me more able to get back out and do things you know with, with mates or whatever um and at the same time as that I was having CBT therapy so that kind of helped me deal better with my anxiety so when I was having these you know anxious thoughts if I was yeah it was like challenging the thoughts before they became a problem so if I had you know if so if I had a headache and I, I would be thinking oh is that something to do with my tumor I think it's like like more than likely nothing to do with it. It's just probably a headache. And then you just challenge that thought before it kind of develops into right. something that's like preventing you from getting out um, and doing things. And I think those two things at the same time were really good. I, I always say this now, um, building up physically and getting bent, better mentally um, together over that kind of two month period was great this was sort of like uh august uh, july yeah. august 2019 so this this year just gone um and since then i've become more positive again i think because i've been getting out more uh you know doing more stuff with mates uh and, and with emma and um and also with family, just just like getting out of the house because I think being on your own yeah. is definitely not good for your mental health. I don't think because I had a lot of time on my own, um, 
yeah, so since then, I think this sort of autumn, I've started going back to work and everything. I'm really happy uh, to hear So it's that. been a really positive period over the last kind of six months. Uh, but that sort of period around my chemotherapy was probably quite, quite, quite a dark period. Um, and that's when my mental health did suffer. Yeah, I think what you've just said is so important and something that I think we could all take away from in the sense that what you've said is coupling, coupling your mental health and your physical health just makes you such a fitter person in general. Oh yeah, definitely. And I don't, I think that just counts for every single person. You know, you don't have to have um, cancer or a brain tumor for that to be the case. I think if you concentrate on your mental health and you concentrate on your physical health at the same time, I think you can see such an uplift in who, in the person you are. You know, I think that this year I made, um, I made a bit of a, not a New Year's resolution, but just a resolution to myself that I wasn't going to waste any time after work because I'd come home from work and you know what it's like. You watch YouTube videos and this, that and the other. And before you know it, it's like nine, ten o'clock. Then you've got, That's it, you've got yeah. to eat and then before... You just get lazy. Yeah, right? and then you've got yeah. to go to bed. And I was like, this is like six hours a day I'm wasting. There's no reason for me to do this. I'm just, But in my head, I was like, oh no, you're resting. And I was like, resting from what? I've been sat in a chair all day. I don't need to rest. And yeah, so yeah, yeah, I yeah think and so well. I've started yeah. since then. I've started jujitsu and yoga, and I've tried to um, obviously with this podcast. I always try to meditate or do something that helps with my mental health, whether that be cooking, which I find kind of meditative, or whatever it may be. And I just found myself to be in such a better state of mind and physically feel better and just feel like a better version of myself. Because like you said, I've coupled the two things together. It's not one or the other. It's both at the same time. And both are equally important. You know, it's not like, oh, actually, it's better if I just lift weights and forget about my mental health. Like, no, you need to pay an active active attention to what's going on up there because it's it can like you said and something that you said before which really hit me was when you got the anxiety and emma was saying to you look i think you might be suffering with anxiety and stuff you were like no 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 i'm not that type of person that's not me and i think again that's something that i mean i definitely suffered with was when i kind of um it took me a while but when it finally sunk in that i was depressed it took me so long to realize that because I was like, oh, I'm not depressed. It's just, I'm going through a little bit of a shitty period. Um, and that's all it is. But then it, then I realized that actually I was always upset because whenever I wasn't with people who could distract me, whenever I was alone, so when I was having a shower, brushing my teeth, getting dressed, whatever it was. That's it, yeah. It's when you're on your own, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. I was constantly thinking bad thoughts. Whereas before then, I wasn't thinking those dark things. Whereas when I was alone, so, but what happened was I was like, oh, Seb, you're like, you know me at school. I was always the happy-go-lucky guy, always crack a joke, have a laugh and a smile. And it was just like, Seb, that's not you. You're not that person. And then it took me a while to realize like, no, mate, like any person, it doesn't matter who you are, like depression or mental health um, illnesses. They don't target specific people. They'll just go for anyone. They don't care. Do you know what I mean? And it's that realization that you're not immune from mental health problems is actually really important I think and it's so important to what you said is to realize the thing of I'm not that person that doesn't actually yeah. mean anything because we're all that person yeah. any one of us can suffer and it doesn't have to I mean obviously what you've gone through is really dramatic but it doesn't have to be that dramatic you know I know people who they got sacked or 
their girlfriend left them after five years and you know they don't know where to turn something like that which some of us might think is just trivial can really affect someone for the negative um and i think as well another thing that you said that uh i just wanted to pick up on is uh, emma and how helpful she's been to you because if i remember correctly uh she actually was the one who kind of suggested in the very start of this whole process suggested that you should go to the doctors because you were when you were working out you were kind of suffering and you had like that metallic taste in your mouth and every now and again your kind of memory would go or whatever and emma was the one who was like tom i think you should go to doctor and you kind of did the typical man thing which i do and almost i think all of us do which is oh no i'm all right it's just a little thing it's fine there's no need to worry and yeah. then <clears throat> well that's what you want yeah you don't want to worry about anything do you you just think oh it's fine yeah yeah and then, and then the thing again when when you got the anxiety she was the the other person who said she was the person again who was like tom this isn't just your tumor this is something actually meant completely separate in the sense of it's mental health it's nothing to do with the tumor obviously it's been brought on by the effects of chemotherapy and stuff but it's not you're not feeling this way because you have a tumor you're feeling this way because you've got anxiety problems and you need to like switch and and confront those problems yeah i think that was the most difficult part was just coming to terms with it um i think it is the most difficult part of mental health is like a lot of people think that they wouldn't experience it and they definitely haven't or anything but coming to terms with the fact that you might have already uh, I think that's the most difficult part I think once you've you know if if you are like suffering once you have have realized that and accepted it that's the biggest part of it all I think 100% and I think as well um I think it's such a especially for men you know for us guys I think it's so difficult to accept because even though a lot of us are turned on to mental health and we realize that it's a very important thing, you know, it's not as if we lived in the 50s anymore, there's still some sort of stigma attached and there's still, you know, this feeling that mental health is kind of for, like, weaker people and I'm strong, I'm a man, I'm a boyfriend, I look after people, I'm not going to get mental health. That's for weaker people to get. And so then when it actually happens to you, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, everything I just thought is actually a complete lie and... There's got nothing to do with being strong or weak or whatever you want to put it. Mental health attacks all of us. It doesn't matter what gender you are, what age you are, you know, how strong you are. It, it can attack you from from the smallest things to the most dramatic things like your case. And I think something to take from your story as well with, you know, your relationship with Emma is that you relied on her a lot and that's been a really good thing for you and it's helped you kind of get through this to have someone where you can rely on and that doesn't mean that you have to have a girlfriend obviously because there's going to be people listening to this who don't but if whether that's your mom or your dad or a brother or a friend of yours someone that you can rely on because you said it yourself it's impossible to go through it alone you need that person who can always be there and if that means you have to cry together you cry together if that means you go to the park for a walk together just to get it off your mind you do that together but there's always that someone and I think that's the the worst part about depression and mental health and anxiety and all of that stuff I found and from people I've spoken to and you're a perfect example is once it takes a hold on you it makes you become insular yeah it really does yeah and it makes you kind of uh just regret 
yeah, not go out and not socialize and not do anything and not speak to anyone and keep it all inside, which is actually the worst possible thing you could ever do. So it's all—it's like this disease that once it grabs a hold of you, it makes you do everything you shouldn't do, which is stay in your house, don't go out for plans, don't talk to people, don't do this, don't do that. And actually you should, it's the complete opposite. If you're suffering with depression or mental health or anxiety, obviously I'm not a professional, but from just personal experience, you should actually force yourself into those what seem uncomfortable positions, which may be going to the pub with your mates to watch Nottingham Forest or going on a night out with or a meal out with Emma or, you know what I mean? And in that moment when you've decided to go, you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done this. But then once you're there, you're then like, why was I ever worried? This is the best thing for me, being around my friends, being around Emma, being around my family. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I definitely agree with that. And how how has it been? Obviously, I know some of your friends from school, your real close friends like Matt Hempsall and and those guys. How how have they been in 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 supporting you in dealing with it? Because like you said beforehand, you know, in some ways it's kind of easier for you because you're in control in the sense of it's your own life. Whereas these people, Emma and your friends and your family, obviously they love you dearly, but they can't help you in the sense of they can't take the tumour away. They've kind of... So how has it been for them and how have they supported you? Um, well, I, I suppose differently to... I think um, obviously it's very hard for everyone. Um, but I think some people deal with it differently. I mean... I think my mum is obviously she's more sort of visibly visibly upset and stuff a lot um and she's you know um she struggles to not you know talk about it and and stuff like that but it, I I get it like she wants me to be to be cured and everything um because I'm not actually I've still got some of the tumor left and um so I'm I'm not actually cured uh, and I think she just, it's very hard because you want to kind of get cured and, and it's not a problem anymore and everything. So it, it is very hard for my mum, but I think sometimes she's, it does um, really, really affect her. Um, and it, I mean, it does with everyone. I think it really does affect Emma as well, but I think she just tries to not let it sort of... Um, be the topic of conversation all the time you know don't let it kind of consume you as much um because although it can very easily consume you something like that um so it is it's definitely important to i mean yeah talk about it now and again because it's not like it's not not there but like i think uh yeah like talking about it all the time and stuff becomes it does become a bit tiring and it's because there's no actual sort of cure it's it's kind of incurable at the minute it's it's very difficult because you, you you're like right well let's get it cured but it's like yeah but there's there's no, there's nothing there's no cure right now like there might be in the future yeah which is what i'm very you know positive about but it's like yeah it definitely um not making your whole life about that and I think it really helps with my mates as well, you know, like going out to 40 or whatever or just meeting up at, at the pub or whatever, just to have a, you know, a normal chat with them and, um, 
you know, like you would, and if none of this happened, basically, it's it's just positive to to just go out and enjoy life and and live your life more. Well, especially a lot more than I was. Um, yeah, like kind of six months back, six months ago. Um, but yeah, I think just just being supportive and being there and saying, "Hey, mate, do you want to, you know, go and do this today, or do you want to?" Um, yeah, just like, do you want to go out today? Do you want to do this today? You know, even just like, you know, just meeting up, not even for that long, just so you can have a bit of a chat and stuff. And it, it always helps, I think, just to, if you know, for other people struggling with mental health problems, it's just to always ask about it now and again. Like I said, not all the time, you know, like you, you don't want to be, say, oh, I've I've got depression or anxiety and then people ask you about it all the time. That. I think that doesn't help as much. I think just now and again, just a, you know, just a, a chat with a mate, like not like a, a proper like investigate, like oh, what's your depression like and stuff. And um, I think just a chat now and again just helps because you know if you've got any thoughts or something you need to get off your chest or, or you know, like rather than dealing with them yourself, I think that does really help. And I think, uh, you know, family and friends and 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 and, and Emma have been really good with that. Yeah, I think as well when, obviously, we had this conversation, we recorded it like two or three weeks ago and uh, your microphone didn't work. So in the end, we had a lovely conversation over the phone, but we this is why we're re-recording this conversation. But I've got to confess that after we had that conversation, I think I think it was actually the next day um, Kobe Bryant died in the helicopter crash. Uh, and the conversation with you coupled with kind of Kobe Bryant I don't know why because I'm not I don't really get affected by celebrity deaths in the sense of I don't I don't know them personally so it doesn't affect me personally but for some reason and I think it was more to do with the conversation I had with you I was really affected by it and it kind of knocked me for six and and I realized and I kind of reflected and it was because in that conversation we had a couple of weeks ago and in this conversation that we've had now the theme that I keeps on coming through is all you want is normality and you just don't want to take life for granted anymore, which maybe you were guilty of beforehand. I mean, I'm certainly guilty of that. And I just thought, Christ, you know, here's Tom with all of his problems and everything else. And he's positive And all he wants again is just to be, be a normal guy again, just to be able to have a full-time job, just to be able to, if he wants to go on a run, go on a run and not worry how he's going to feel. Or if he wants to go to the pub, go to the pub and all of that stuff. And I think, I'm, I don't want to talk for anyone else, but I'm so guilty of um, kind of chastising that, that normal life and thinking of normality is boring and oh, who wants a normal life? Let's do more, let's do better. And actually there's something so beautiful in having that normality and, and not taking it for granted and actually taking advantage of that fact. And if you're healthy and you're fit to be able to do things and to choose to do them and not to stay in your bedroom because ugh, who cares I'll just do it next weekend because you don't really know what's going to happen from now until next weekend you know and and I think that's such a for me that was my biggest takeaway of the conversation we had last a couple of weeks ago and the conversation we're having with you now is just to try not to take life for granted because there's so many people in unfortunate situations who I think they've they've learned that lesson and maybe if people who are listening to this conversation, they don't have to have cancer to learn that lesson. If they just listen to you, can kind of take it on board and go, Christ, look, 
if people are going through this, I should really try to make the most of my life and and not take it for granted and not take the small things for granted because actually small things are what we miss the most whenever we can't have them, you know? Um, I think it's such an important message that you're getting across. And I think it's really, I also think it's really brave of you to have this conversation and to talk about it, to talk about your mental health, to talk about the kind of whole procedure you've gone through, that whole operation and all of it. Because I know friends of ours had, we know roughly what's been going on with you, but not some of us who are maybe not your best, best, best friends are kind of, we hear little snippets, you know, through the grapevines and we're like, what's actually happening with Tom? And, and like you said, people kind of feel guilty because they don't want to message you all the time because they don't want to put you in, in a shit mood because for all they know, you're actually having a really nice day out in Nottingham with Emma and Matt Hempsall and all the rest of them. And then you get a message from someone going, hey, Tom, how are you feeling? Are you feeling all right? And even if they don't mention cancer or depression or anxiety, you know that the reason they're asking you that is because of those things. And so they kind of feel guilty about sending you a message i've certainly felt that way i've wanted to message you a few times and kind of not done it because i was like oh maybe he's he doesn't need like this like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna leave him alone and i think actually like you said it's choosing the right moments but letting people like you know that there are people out there who care and who are actually wanting to know how you're doing not in a nosy way but just because they care for you and and sending a message going hey tom how you doing hope you hope you're well hope everything's great back home is enough you know um yeah i think that's a really important yeah message. definitely uh what yeah i think yeah sorry, no, go I, on i think i said that last time yeah. as well that um you know i i understand i completely understand that because you know like 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 what i've just said you don't always want to be thinking about it etc etc but like i think you know just uh just a message or something you don't have to pick it up right then and there but at least you know you you can pick it up when you want and you know that that person is is you know thinking of you seeing if you're if you're all right and i think it's better to do it than not do it but i have been guilty of it in the past as well where i've thought with certain situations where like i'm not sure i want to bring that up because it it can sort of make you feel like oh it might you know upset them or or be like a bit awkward for them or but i think it's different for everyone, but I think definitely f- from my experience, I think it's definitely better just to, if if you are like thinking about someone and and I oh, wonder how they're doing and stuff, just just check in and just just see. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to like call them or anything or put them on the spot, but just a message. So it's kind of, you know, just so they know that you're there and you're thinking about them and they can you know, get back to you when they want to and stuff. I think, it, yeah, that's definitely the better thing to do. But, I mean, it it might not be the same for everyone. Um, but from my perspective, that's, yeah, I think that's the best thing. Yeah, I think, I think that's really good advice, actually, about leaving the message. I hadn't ever thought of it that way. But if you call someone and ask them, you're putting them on the spot and they have to answer you there and then and they might not be in the mood or they might be in a good mood or whatever. But... If you message them, the ball's in their that's court, it, it, and yeah. then they can they might they might reply to you in a week, or they might reply to you there and then because actually you've quite, just as it happens you've messaged them at the perfect time. But if you, it's kind of non intrusive, isn't it? Messaging them, and also I've also thought as well, it's such a even though I'm guilty of it, it's such a stupid thought process because it's like, okay, I don't want to message Tom because I don't want to like remind him that he has this tumor and anxiety or whatever. But then it's like. 
Well, Tom doesn't forget that he has it. Yeah. It's not like he wakes up and he goes, oh, I'm Tom Swan. I have absolutely no yeah. problems. Yeah. I'm absolutely perfect, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. then you send him a message going, hey, mate, how are you doing? And he goes, oh, fuck, yeah, I actually have a tumor. Oh, God. Do you know what I mean, like, exactly, whatever yeah. problem you're suffering with, whether it's you know, me with depression beforehand or you with the tumor or whatever it may be, it's not that you forget you have it. So, like, that is, and I'm guilty of having that thought process, but it's such a stupid one because you're not reminding people that they have a problem. You're just showing them that you care and I think what you've said is perfect if you send a message it leaves it in their court then they know that and they might never reply to you but at least they know that that you're there and there are people thinking of you and it's kind of it allows them to deal with it and to communicate how they want to rather than force you know doing it in the pub unless you see that there is that right moment because that's that they're intangibles but you know, if you go for a pint with them with your mates and one of your mates pulls you aside and goes, hey, Tom, how are you doing with the cancer? That, like you said, it's really awkward because that can put you on the spot and you might just want to actually just go for a couple of pints and forget about it that day. And you might be willing to talk to them about it tomorrow. But right now, when you're in the pub with your mates, it's not the right time or place. So that's, you're so right, I think. I've never thought of it that way, but I think a message is, is such a better way to kind of show your support. Um... Just, is there anything else you want to bring up before we get to the end, or or is there anything that we've forgotten? Um, no, I can't. Uh, I can't think of anything. No. Um, no, I think that's that's it, mate. Okay. All right, perfect. Well, just before we tie up, then we always do this last little segment that we have with the guests, and I think your one will be especially useful for people given what you've gone through. Yeah. Um, our last segment is called uh, "How Do You Get Your Shit Together." So basically, I'm just going to ask that question. How do you get your shit together? Or how do you keep on top of your mental health and your anxiety um, with everything that you've gone through? Are there, are there certain processes that you do daily or weekly or whatever um, it may be? Yeah, so say, I, I try to do sort of at least, you know, 30 minutes of exercise a day. Like you said, I think you said you, you were doing some yoga and stuff. Um, it's one of them things that yoga is kind of like, you know for like a guy I mean I know I'm being a bit stereotypical but like to begin with I was like when I had these plans sent on this move project thing that I got and it said yoga I was like yoga like isn't that just for like old women or something like I thought that's not for me yeah who do pilates and do nothing else yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so then I thought well I'll give it a go because it's on my plan uh but the more I've done it I've got really quite into it and it does give you that time you know when you're like listening to a video um that it gives you like you know half an hour of mindfulness as well because you're not thinking about anything else you're not sitting there thinking about uh anything um you know like that could be causing you anxiety or anything or uh you've just got some time where you're just completely focusing on the video and focusing on uh like where you're meant to be on the mat and everything and I found it's definitely been good for strength. It's like something you wouldn't expect so much. You think, oh, I've got to, you know, lift weights and stuff to get strong. But it, it really has benefited my strength because uh, I was, you know, at a point where I was like like an old person, like I said. But now 
it's really helped me build up my strength. So I think, you know, if I'm having a particularly bad day and I haven't done any exercise yet, you know, if I, if I was having an anxious day or whatever, or I, I always try to make sure that I do have that, you know, just that break in the day, just to focus on, even if it's not yoga, just some like, some like sort of, uh, some workout. It's just like, it's, it's really good for me, I think. Uh, and I do often say this to people as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would do, mate, to keep my shit together. Yep. Nice one. Yoga it is. I'm, I'm fully with you. It's actually so much harder than people think. I was, I was with you before I had a couple of my friends who did yoga and they kind of told me that I should get onto it. And I, you have that image, don't you, of these women, um, who do like, who have, yeah, don't have exactly. a drop of sweat on them and they're all like perfect. And then you do it and you're like, Jesus, this is so hard. And I'm sweating buckets and yeah, I'm like really pulling is. muscles that I didn't even know existed yeah. and whatever else. So no, I, I definitely, I definitely agree. Well, that's it then. Um, I really just want to just take this last moment just to thank you for coming on for the second time, yeah. um, having the that patience works. to do it again and sharing your story. I think it's, I personally find it really inspiring. I'm try I try to like remember your story when I find myself taking things for granted. I think so many other people will do as well. And and just that positive um, mental attitude that you have, I think again is is really inspiring and and can help kind of keep others in check and make sure that we try to keep a positive mental attitude because if you can do it with everything that you've gone through, I think then the rest of us should be able to, to do it or at least do our best. Um, so I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your yeah, story. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Nice one. Um, guys, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you have, please like r- rate, subscribe, all the rest of it, you know what to do, uh, spread the word and try to get p- as many people to listen to this podcast as we can. And we will try to remove the stigma of mental health one conversation at a time. Thank you.